Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights. Today, we're going to be talking about recipes, a peek into the pandemic. I'm Joan Driggs, your host, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Holly Carlson, from IRI's Media Center of Excellence. And we've invited Yuni Samashima, CEO and co-founder of Chicory, a partner of IRI, to speak with us about some of the new and meaningful ways we're con- connecting with consumers and shoppers during the pandemic. Now, Uni is co-founder of Jiggery. They're a New York-based tech firm and a leading digital shopper marketing platform for CPG and grocery brands. They're at the forefront of shoppable recipes. Come on, we've all been online. We've all been looking for a little inspiration of what to do with, you know, the 23 zucchinis that we have from our garden or that your aunt gave you. Um, But when you visit such sites as Taste of Home, Delish, Betty Crocker, thousands of influencer food food blogs, um, you're going to see some of Chicory's work. And I'm going to give you an example. Say you find a recipe for crock pot spaghetti. And yes, that is a real thing. You can click on a get ingredients button and then choose a store or grocery delivery service near you. Those ingredients are automatically added to your cart. And here's the beauty for marketers. That recipe might call for Parmesan cheese But when I put it into my shopping list, it pops up as Stella grated Parmesan cheese. Or black pepper might be McCormick ground black pepper. Kind of genius, right? So those are some of the partners that, or those are some of Chicory's partners. And Uni is going to tell us a little bit more about that in a bit. But, so first I want to say welcome Uni and Holly. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So one more thing on Uni, when I was doing a little digging on him, I noticed that he was a Forbes 30 under 30, um, which is a fantastic acknowledgement, and I suspect it has to do with some of the work that you've done for Chicory. So Uni, kick us off and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So yeah, we got the Forbes 30 last year, which was, you know, it's always good to get some recognition after a couple of years of hard work. Um, but yeah, my co-founder and I started the business actually back when we were um, seniors in college at the Colgate University in New York. Um, and you know, that was back in 2013. And so we had this idea. We both like to cook. We'd go on recipe sites really frequently. And we had this moment of, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to get the ingredients to any recipe on the internet delivered straight to your house? And you know, at first we thought, hey, Let's do all the delivery ourselves. Let's prepackage everything. But we kind of quickly realized that that was a uh, that was more of an inventory and logistics game. And so we did some research. We saw that online grocery e- grocery e commerce was going to become much bigger um, over the next few years. And so we thought, doesn't it make sense to connect online recipes with online grocery delivery? And so that's how Chicory actually began. And over the years, uh, we've partnered with major retailers like Kroger, Amazon, Instacart, et cetera, and some, like you said, of the, of the world's leading recipe publications out there. 
And over time, we realized that some of the value proposition that we had just around recipes in general, and as we're seeing, you know, grocery change, right, especially with COVID, and I, you know, this is a lot of what we're, we're going to be talking about, and um, with online grocery usage just skyrocketing, digital grocery and the, and the grocery shoppers path to purchase has changed dramatically. And so when we look at recipes, we don't just see kind of a list or we don't just see, you know, simple content. We actually see a tool um, that consumers are using to do their shopping. And so more and more with what Chicory is doing, yes, we make recipes shoppable. But since that point, we've actually launched a whole kind of shopper marketing platform um, for brands to reach consumers um, in those recipes. So we like to consider ourselves kind of turning recipes, uh, bringing the retail environment to recipes. Um, and harnessing the power of, of recipes in that consumer path to purchase and um, kind of through technology. That is, that is awesome. And we are definitely, that is going to be most of what we're going to be talking about. And I'm excited about that. But, you know, when Holly and I were talking about this, really, I was even thinking of, okay, you're almost like the palm reader of the pandemic, if you will, you know, and I want you to tell us a little bit about what you're seeing about consumer behavior based on some of the recipes that people are most interested in. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, interestingly enough, you know, what, one of the first signs we saw just of, about recipes around recipes and around um, consumer habits actually first started in February, early February, when we first started getting just across, you know, California, I believe, um, just a couple of small news outlets reporting on, you know, the pandemic and, and certain cases um, appearing in the states. Um, and even, you know, early February, we started to see spikes um, of canned goods, canned, you know, recipes that had canned goods in it, you know, dried pasta, dried you know, beans, anything that's kind of shelf stable. We started to see those types of recipes start to surge. Okay, I'm um, going to stop you right there or interrupt you rather because that's so interesting because IRI tracks, you know, the POS sales. So we look at mid-March as being really that peak period. You saw it weeks before we did. So that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and of course like we've seen it, you know, from that point we saw it start to continuous continually surge through March through April. Um, when I think a lot of those types of manufacturers thought there was a lot of hoarding behavior going on. Um, you know, I think in hindsight, we can actually start to see that it was potentially people starting to learn how to cook and, and not going out as often as, as they were. Um, with those types of products being pretty simple entryways into, into cooking, if you will. That makes sense because, you know, shelf-stable products are still flying off the shelves. Um, we have been seeing like the dollar sales for rice and pasta both up about 19% um, for four weeks ending August 2nd. So, you know, the, the trends have continued throughout this pandemic. Um, total edible sales, uh, which consists of beverages, so carbonated soft drinks, water, tea, energy and sports drinks, frozen food and general food, as well as alcoholic beverages remain up 10% versus year ago. And then general food, which happens to fall within center of store, is up 8% compared to year ago. And this is all according to IRICPG demand index. Yeah, which is frankly a, a great tool that we should plug on our website. Just go to iriworldwide.com to see all these 
cool dashboards. Um, but Uni, in, have you seen like kind of peaks and valleys? I mean, because a lot of the stuff that Holly just talked about, I'm like, okay, maybe people are just trying to work through that pantry. Um, we're still buying at elevated levels. But have you seen like different kind of patterns of, you know, purchases? I mean, well, we've got the purchase, but the recipe um, interest? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of fascinating to look over the past six months to see how consumer trends around recipes have changed. So early on, like I was saying, you know, we were seeing a lot of canned goods, you know, how do I make recipes, easy recipes? Then we definitely, definitely came into a period of baking. Um, so we saw yeast skyrocket. I'm sure you guys saw yeast was probably sold out everywhere. Um, we still see yeast, you know, yeast is up 300% um, over last year. Um, so baking definitely became a huge thing. Um, then I think over time, uh, we saw we saw a lot more family time come together. So a lot of family dinners. So Easter, for example, was one of our highest recipe traffic days ever. Um, usually those recipe, high recipe traffic days are around Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, major holidays. Uh, but this Easter surpassed both of them for 2019. You know, I would guess, honestly, because we weren't getting together in those bigger groups and people wanted to still celebrate a holiday, um, you know, both um, Easter and Passover, that they were having to, like, individual households were having to do everything. Instead of bringing, you know, one dish to Aunt Jean's house, you know, you had to prepare everything for your small family. That's right. And and what about seasonal shifts, Uni? Um, it seems like people are more interested in ways you can cook with like zucchini or peppers these days. Um, and as you guys have already brought up the holidays, do we have any predictions um, that can be made for, you know, Labor Day, which is quickly approaching? I imagine you have seen people avoid recipes for dips, hummuses, salsas, etc. cetera. Um, you know, because they're searching for more COVID-safe type recipes. Yeah, so that's a great question. So it's interesting, those those recipe trends, initially we saw kind of total randomness, right? And not randomness, but just total differentiation from, from previous years, like kind of baking, um, those canned goods recipes being up. Uh, but as, as you know, quarantine has, has gone along and things have normalized a little bit, we've seen a lot of seasonal trends return. So when we got back into May and June, May, June, July, we started seeing a lot of grilling trends. So zucchinis up, you know, a lot of healthier recipes. Um, so grilling has, has come back in a really big way. Um, so I think, you know, even, even in late August when we're recording this right now, um, we're starting to see pumpkin and some of those more fall flavors return. But absolutely right. I think for these, for these holidays coming up, there will be less sharing. Um, that's what we've seen overall, less dips than usual, less appetizers than usual, less kind of finger foods, if you will. Um, we're predicting more casseroles, uh, more quick and easy, those kinds of things to, to spike during the holidays. Um, I will say another, another interesting note around the holidays in general, um, and just looking at kind of the intersection of recipe traffic and online grocery usage, because we obviously track, you know, how many people are shopping, which recipes, um, we actually saw on Mother's Day, um, we saw higher orders of recipes than we did for both uh, Easter of this year as well as Thanksgiving and, and Christmas last year. 
So when we think about kind of the industry changing and, and people buying groceries more online, as, as you guys probably saw, you know, Walmart reported a hundred percent increase in e-commerce um, sales. Um, so we're seeing something very similar where, you know, we saw 4X the number of, of recipe orders this Mother's Day than we saw last year. Um, Would that be because different people in the household are jumping into the game for Mother's Day or like what kind of explanation do you have for that? Yeah, I think it's online grocery adoption um, just in general and people, you know, being less, less interested in going into the grocery store, staying in the grocery store for extended periods of time. Um, we're seeing stats just across the board around, you know, just within even our network, we are seeing on a daily basis, online grocery orders are up, you know, anywhere between two to seven X, um, where they were this time last year. So, so really, really just a lot more, a lot more grocery adoption, online grocery adoption. And I think that this is where your business model comes into play. And you had even mentioned, you know, that a good part of your business model is that you are extending that retailer's experience, you know, outside. And I know that your, your company is for the shopper, wherever that shopper happens to be, whether they're in the store or, you know, online making their grocery list. So let's talk a little bit about what, what you bring to your partners, you know, what's in it for the CPG marketers, for example, how, how are you working with them? Um, because people are spending less time in the store. That's why this e-com is such a great solution. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we're, we're big believers in this concept um, called contextual commerce. Um, so really where the consumer is and layering in shoppability into kind of that right moment where the consumer is, is how you engage um, with digital grocery shoppers. So even in traditional grocery, you know, the grocery store is contextual commerce because when you're in the grocery store, that's the right place for a brand to advertise, right? Um, because that shopper is in the context of shopping. When it comes to digital you know, the digital consumer's path to purchase, it gets a little tricky because yes, you can, you can advertise on Kroger.com or any of these, you know, on platform sites, but it's not, it's not like you're reaching the scale that you would be with, with total grocery shoppers in store. And so when we think about how we help brands, we think about recipes being that right context and being able to layer in kind of a shoppable moment into those recipes. So we do it in a couple of different ways. So one, of course, we have shoppable recipes. So we work with a lot of manufacturers who have their own recipe sites to make it shoppable. So kind of a perfect way to, for contextual commerce to come into play. Um, but we also have partnerships um, with these large publishers and, and influencers where we're serving ads um, on those recipes, um, contextually relevant ads on those recipes. So we'll, we'll work with a company like Hellman's mayonnaise and anytime a recipe in our network calls for a half cup of mayonnaise, for example, we will insert a, a custom ad unit for Hellman's saying, Hey, try Hellman's for this recipe. Or it might even say it might even actually link to um, the Hellman's product in a consumer's basket. So really shortening, shortening that, uh, that path to purchase. Um, and so by reaching consumers um, in that moment and, and potentially layering shoppability onto there, um, we're really influencing the consumer in the right place at the right time. 
Yeah. And um, I also think it's important to say that, you know, over the last several months, um, it's been very dynamic in nature and everything has been moving so rapidly. Um, so given this, it's definitely been a challenge at times for marketers to keep up. So it's important for them to know how the consumer has behaved throughout the pandemic so they can execute their media appropriately. Um, so looking into different purchase-based segments would be one way to um, learn more about their shoppers. So for example, those who were purchasing during the panic buying phase of March through May versus purchasers of a brand during the last 60 days could look very different from one another. So let's say an advertiser is targeting both of these audiences. Um, adjustments can be made to the campaign in flight uh, because we can then optimize towards the audiences that are driving the offline purchasers, either in store or through uh, e-commerce. Um, but in terms of how Chicory and IRI are partnering together, uh, it's been about four years since we uh, first started talking with one another. And um, we specifically have worked together on campaign measurement and sales lift. So Trickery has been able to leverage iRise Match Market testing measurement solution. It's a test and control type study uh, to determine the impact that their media campaigns have had on an advertiser sales. Um, in some cases, we have measured campaigns for trickery um, where the brands being featured uh, are actually included in some of the recipes. And uh, I think, you know, there was an example where uh, Uni said if, if a Hellman's mayo was included in a recipe, you could click on that uh, that product and you can add it to a cart and you can do a shopper select option where you can choose, you know, what retailer or what delivery service such as an Instacart that you would want to receive the product from. And then in other cases, we have measured campaigns for trickery where the media for the brand ran in tandem with a contextually relevant recipe. Um, Overall, our measurement provides Chicory and their clients with a holistic view of sales uplift since it includes both e-commerce, so some click and collect, as well as brick and mortar sales. That's pretty cool because then you can really tie like an actual, you know, um, impression to a, a purchase either in store or online. And that is pretty progressive. So just touching... Just touching on you know the partnership between Chicory and IRI, you know we've had a really valuable relationship. Obviously, IRI, you know we've heard in the industry when we were first starting off is is the leader um, in measurement, and and uh, CPGs look to IRI um, as a trusted source for that. And um, so after we we partnered four years ago, we've run a number of programs. And um, obviously, in this podcast, we've talked about the rise in e-commerce, um, you know how 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 that's impacting consumer behavior, but. But uh, the future isn't e-commerce. The future is omni-channel. Um, and there's always going to be a need for both uh, a strong in-store as well as an e-commerce experience. Um, and any marketing program that you run, whether it's uh, you know, in-store or online, um, all of those marketing programs are going to have an omni-channel impact. 
And so as we kind of as an e-commerce specialist um, have been running these programs, IRI has been invaluable in helping us to prove the in-store impact of, of recipe advertising um, and kind of shopper marketing plat- programs on our platform. And um, so like you were saying before, we've run a number of programs where we've done kind of direct ingredient type um, programs. So we've done a chicken program, uh, you know, where we were honestly, you know, uh, advertising raw chicken. Um, and in that program, we saw we, we had layered in e-commerce on our end, um, but we saw seven to one return on ad spend um, in store um, as an in-store sales lift through through the IRI match market data. And um, most recently, we've run a, an alcohol program, beer. So we were pairing beer with, uh, with you know, game day, you know, sports, outside grilling, that kind of thing this year. Um, and we saw a, we actually saw 12 to 1 return on ad spend. So it wasn't just an ingredient. It was more of an occasions-based. It was more of a pairings-based um, program. But we still saw that recipes were, were incredibly uh, effective there. Uh, and IRI was, was crucial in helping us to prove that. And so, you know, as, as we continue to grow as a business, you know, we're looking forward to partnering with IRI in, in all different kinds of ways as well. Uni, you just created another fantastic reason for why shoppable recipes and contextual uh, marketing for retailers is so important. Because think about all the sports marketing that is not available right now. You know, and when you're talking about beer, it's like you could still promote beer as a great accompaniment to all sorts of products, even if it's not, you know, football game snacks, um, unless it is. I mean, it's like, who knows what we're going to see in the fall. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting opportunity that you just kind of opened up. So whoever gave you the IRI, you know, recommendation definitely steered you in the right direction. Let's talk a little bit more about like even the retailer, you know, like how you work with retailers um, to promote more of that contextual commerce. I really, I really like that. And if for either of these, for either the CPGs or the retailers, if you're really to help them with demand, you know, given, you know, in maybe a different category or given a, a, an upcoming holiday, like how are you working with them? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we work with retailers in a couple of different ways. So one way we work with them is we, we have the ability from an e-commerce perspective to send them orders. So a lot of our media programs, so shoppable recipes, obviously sending them orders. A lot of our media programs, we can layer in what we call click to cart technology. So instead of going to a landing page, we can actually drive a consumer into their into a retailer's basket. So running that Hellman's program, we can actually add a Hellman's tub um, into a consumer's Instacart basket, for example. Um, We also run media programs for retailers directly. So for retailers, um, you know, reaching consumers who are looking at recipes is valuable because the consumer is in that pre-shop moment. So if you're able to say, hey, you shopper, you're planning your list, go to Stop and Shop to buy these ingredients. Um, that's hugely valuable for retailers as well. So that's another way we work with retailers. Um, and finally, um, from a more shopper marketing perspective, uh, we work with retailers um, and retail media groups. So a lot of these new kind of shopper marketing um, or media groups that retailers are setting up, we partner with many of them um, in order to do kind of co-branded uh, programs for, for manufacturers as well. So when you're talking about those media programs, are you talking about the retailer as the media platform? You know, for example, 
like a Kroger or a Walmart kind of owning their own space? So slightly different. So we'll work with a, so we'll run a marketing program for, let's call it Hellman's again, um, where we're driving uh, that traffic to Kroger. So it's very Kroger focused program, um, targeting Kroger shoppers, but all within kind of our recipe network. Um, and again, extending that Kroger environment to, to chicory recipes um, in order to, to get that consumer to buy Hellman's at Kroger specifically. Now, one of the things that I've seen in our research um, is that as consumers continue to adopt e-commerce, it'll become one of their behaviors that really sticks past, you know, in post-pandemic. Um, but part of that is making that part of the everyday. So are you helping retailers kind of help their shoppers just create lists that they can go back to again and again just to just to kind of ease away some of the friction um, from online? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the thing with recipes is people are making their, making their retail shopping lists from recipes anyways. Um, and so by partnering with retailers in, in a number of these different ways, we're able to help, exactly, help the consumer make their lists more seamlessly with less friction. Um, and along the way, help brands help brands to to reach and target those those uh, retailer specific shoppers as well. Yeah, I I think you know it's important you know to make sure that the marketer is tracking the changes in the consumer behavior, and sometimes a longer term strategy to increase growth in a particular channel such as ecom. Uh, is more crucial than the short-term strategies. So, you know, once the pandemic struck, 145% more households were ordering groceries online versus uh, August of last year. So that's leading to about a 34% increase in total e-com sales compared to a year ago. But we're thinking that even if sales do slow down a bit, it's going to remain at these higher levels. And we know that shoppers who tried online shopping, particularly with click and collect, will adopt this behavior moving forward. Uh, I actually just read an eMarketer article this week that said 53% of internet users will make at least one online grocery order through a digital channel in 2020. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel that that is such a high percentage. It is. I mean, honestly, we, we have our own data and we're seeing it for sure that e-com is the big winner. And there's even been like debate, um, even among like some, some um, retail leaders who we've spoken with about well, things might calm down towards the end of the year, but the fact is, is that that bar is already raised. And these are behaviors that are, are going to stick. And even among boomers, you know, for example, boomers who think, oh, the technology, you know, they're just not going to adopt it. Not at all. It is not a barrier at all. And these are the shoppers that have a lot of money. So I think that for me, what I think will be intriguing is how you know, you're already talking about things like, you know, the marketing and contextual. So it might not be necessarily use my ingredient or use my product for a recipe, but how it goes with other products. I mean, all these different opportunities, but how is that going to drive 
what retailers should have in the store, what manufacturers should be paying attention to. I mean, you mentioned, hey, searches for pumpkin are already on the rise. So what does that tell me about, as, as a business person, what should I be preparing for um, to kind of make sure that I'm really meeting the needs of these people who still have to keep shopping and keep looking for inspiration? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the, the, the question of the year, if you will, um, in terms of the pandemic, just because consumer behavior has changed so much. Um, I think a lot of manufacturers are, you know, even to this day, having trouble with supply chain, um, making sure, you know, I, I recently heard there's an, an aluminum shortage, uh, so that also doesn't help. Um, but even keeping things in stock right now are, are, are difficult. I would say from an from a inventory perspective, we should expect similar trends um, this year going into the holidays of just recipes being made. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, what will be different will probably be back to school, as I'm, as I'm sure you guys are seeing. Um, but I would say prepare for the same and for retailers, really, really get that online grocery um, the logistics, the consumer interface, um, making it easy, making sure that for online grocery orders, um, you know, the product description pages are correct for each of those brands, making sure that uh, if there are any out of stocks, making that real time for consumers um, so that they have that good grocery online grocery shopping experience, because there is no doubt um, that there will be more people buying grocery as online uh, in the upcoming season. Thank you, um, Holly and Uni, and just kind of recap a little bit about um, what we heard today, and that is that um, we are going to continue to shop at elevated levels. We're going to continue to need that that inspiration, and it really is in the marketers, like both CPG and um, retailers' best interest to kind of be seen as a solution and get in front of consumers where they are. I loved, um, Uni, your comment on like e-commerce is growing, but it's not the game. The game is omni-channel and you have to be where the shopper is in the moment. And again, be seen as, as a valued support system, a valued partner. We have so many millennials in particular who are new to the game they're still building their loyalties. And now is a great time to, to be part of that. Um, and I also like the idea of helping retailers kind of extend their retail environment in, in a new way, because that is such a tricky thing. You know, everyone was trying to build up the experience in the store. Well, now that experience in the store is cut to as short of time as possible. So again, thank you both for your time and um, we'll look forward to hearing more future success from you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.